The Real Food Reel is proudly sponsored by Melrose Health. Founded in 1979, Melrose Health has been delivering improved health over three decades by developing natural, delicious and innovative health foods from the best natural and organic ingredients. Their healthy kitchen oils range has just launched and includes my favourites, liquid coconut oil, grass-fed ghee and avocado oil. Visit melrosehealth.com.au or check out at Melrose Health on Instagram to learn more. Welcome to The Real Food Real. I'm Steph Lowe, the natural nutritionist. We're shaking things up on the podcast and each week I am joined by our cast of experts, including Kirsty Worth, Phil Maffetone, Kale Brock, Ali McLean, Katie Pettuccini, and so many more leaders in the fields of real food, gut health, sports performance, holistic wellness, and optimizing your health, metabolism, and longevity. While you're tuning into today's episode, would you take a screenshot of your smartphone and share it on social media with the hashtag RealFoodReal? I'd absolutely love to know that you're tuning in. And while you're there, why not share this episode with a friend who also needs to hear our information goldmines and aha moments. Sharing the show means we can continue our mission of simplifying nutrition and showing the world that health starts with what you choose to put on your plate. Without further ado, let's dive into this week's episode of The Real Food Real. In episode 224 of The Real Food Real, we are joined by Maria Marlowe to teach you how to make real food accessible. Maria is a certified integrative nutrition health coach who, inspired by her own personal journey, now teaches others how to improve their health, reach their ideal weight, and clear up their acne by upgrading their diet. You will learn the significance of real food as the foundation of health and wellness, what changes to prioritize if you are just getting started, top tips for saving money on healthy food, the concept of the 20-minute meal, the influence of big food, and so much more. Hi, Maria, and welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. I'm really looking forward to our chat today. It's your first time on The Real Food Real. So please introduce yourself to our listeners and tell us about I guess your story and certainly the training that you've done to date. Sure. So I always joke that when people look at me now, they would never guess my upbringing or childhood. And when I was growing up, I grew up on a junk food diet. So I was not really interested or really know, I didn't know anything about nutrition or health, or I I thought I knew some things about health, but they were very misguided. And uh, long story short, I grew up in a family that had a lot of health problems, myself included. So around my 16th birthday, I started getting acne really bad. I was about 20 pounds heavier than I am now. And I had all sorts of different chronic health problems. And I seemed to just always be sick. So I had all these problems, but the thing that bothered me the most was my acne, and I had tried everything to make it go away from over-the-counter medications and and creams to prescription medications. I went to multiple different dermatologists, and nothing really worked at all. Nothing seemed to work, or, or it would work a little bit, and then my acne would come back. So long story short, I got to college. I was studying fashion at the time, and a classmate 
casually mentioned to me over lunch that what I was eating might be responsible for my acne. And there I was with like a slice of pizza, a soda, and a box of cookies. And, you know, I'm like, oh, really? Okay, that's interesting. You know, I'd been to all of these different dermatologists and not one of them ever asked me what I was eating. So I decided to do more research into it. I got some books on the connection between acne and diet, and I drastically overhauled my diet. And then lo and behold, my skin finally cleared up. So for me to see this so visually in the mirror that when I ate certain foods, my skin would break out really overnight. And then when I ate other foods, clean, real, whole foods, my skin would start to clear up. So this sort of put me down this nutrition rabbit hole and I it became nutrition became my passion and my side hobby for a long time. And I um, actually initially graduated with a degree in I switched from fashion to finance and then I graduated with that. But I decided I I was just so interested in nutrition that I ended up going back to school for plant-based cooking and then for nutrition and health coaching and eventually completely changed career paths and now have a health coaching practice based in New York City. So good. And it is often that you have your own feel so passionate about wanting other people to learn what you learn and maybe not having to go through this medical route with multiple practitioners and sometimes it's years or even decades before we find our way to a more natural and holistic solution. So well done on on that. And, you know, I've been having a good stalk of your Instagram. You're doing some amazing things. And um, I just thought we'd actually share a little bit more about your philosophy when it comes to nutrition and what you're really passionate about in the space. Sure. So I'm all about real foods. So things that come from mother nature, not from a factory and whole foods. So I definitely believe we need to eat more plants. I think that's something that many people are missing in their diet is just vegetables and fruit. And um, I think you know, with animal products, if you're going to eat animal products, you always want to make sure you're having the highest quality. So organic, pasture raised, free range, um, wild for seafood. I think these terms are really important, especially in America. And each country is a little bit different because our standards are different. But making sure that we're eating high quality food is so important because as I always say, food affects everything in our body way beyond just our weight. And I think us, or I mean, at least I grew up thinking food only affected my weight. And if I wanted to lose weight, I would just restrict calories. And if I wanted to gain weight, you know, I'd eat more calories. And that was the extent of my nutrition or health knowledge. And it just, it doesn't work quite that way. Right. And so I really think that we need to pay more attention to the ingredients and to the whole foods, like look at the bigger picture than just counting calories. Yeah, I love that. Gosh, our journey sounds very similar. I'm pretty sure a lot of us once thought it was only about weight management or calories in, calories out, without without thinking of the actual physiological effect of certain foods, which is why so clearly now we're having the sugar and the carbohydrate conversation because they're not necessarily, you know, high calorie foods, 
but they have this really detrimental impact on detrimental impact on obviously our insulin and you know our fat burning capacity and our ability to downregulate inflammation and, and the list goes on. So yeah, fascinating. Right. And go on. And and just I mean, even like it affects our disease risk, right? And it affects our skin and and how quickly our skin ages or if our skin breaks out, our mood, our um, our hunger, everything. So really, everything in our body is affected in some way, shape, or form by what we're fueling our body with. Yeah, amazing, absolutely. So in terms of what you're really passionate about when it comes to real food. Tell us more about what you teach around accessing food, certainly shopping and, you know, where the challenges are that you see for a large majority of people in the West. Well, I think nobody has time. Number one, I think everyone's busy. Everyone has a million things going on. And a lot of times people will use that as an excuse not to eat healthy because they have this preconceived notion that eating healthy takes a lot of time or it's hard to do or maybe it's expensive. So there's a lot of excuses around why people can't eat healthy. So I think it's really the mindset is the biggest challenge people have. And these just old stereotypes or these old ideas that healthy food is expensive or hard or doesn't taste good. So I think that's kind of step one, overcoming that hurdle and helping people see that healthy food can be quick. It can be affordable. It can be delicious. All of these things. It's a matter of knowing how to shop and knowing how to cook these things. So at the grocery store, I think there's, there are many ways that you can sort of speed up your time in the kitchen at home by, for example, if you really don't have a lot of time, you could buy pre-chopped vegetables, pre-chopped and pre-washed vegetables. You could buy frozen vegetables, which I actually really highly recommend, especially if you have a tight budget with food because frozen produce is typically about 25 to 35% cheaper than fresh and just as, if not more nutritious than the fresh stuff because it's frozen at peak ripeness, which is its peak nutrition. And the produce that you're getting in the regular produce section that can sometimes be shipped in from all over the world. And it could be, you know, sitting there for, for weeks since it's been picked. So, um, I recommend, um, frozen produce. Um, I also think that you should get used to, or you should have a few quick 20 minute meals. So most of my dinners take no more than 20 minutes to make because at the end of the day, I don't want to spend an hour in the kitchen. So just getting into the habit of, you know, or or having a few simple dishes that you can prepare over and over again. And maybe like, so for example, I love doing a veggie curry and that takes just 20 minutes. I know I need coconut milk, curry paste, and then a variety of vegetables and a protein. So I can keep switching the vegetables that I use and the protein that I use to make it taste different and to make sure I'm getting all different nutrients. I'm not eating the same thing every day, Um, but it's easy for me because I just know exactly how to make that curry. So having a few of those recipes in your repertoire, I think is really important. And, uh, you know, also just with convenience foods, I think that's another like downfall a lot of people have is they're just, everything's on the go and they want something quick. And, you know, when you look at a head of cauliflower, (laughs) that does not look quick and it does not look delicious, right? As it is, but you have to prepare it. So I'm not saying you can never have convenience foods, but I think that you want to really be a detective in the grocery store and 
looking at labels and looking at ingredient lists and finding the brands. And there are plenty in this day and age that use real food ingredients. So if you are going to have convenience foods, like quick packaged foods that you're using or you're eating the ones with the highest quality ingredients in them. Yeah, I definitely agree. We're very lucky compared to say even five and definitely 10 years ago, there are some amazing companies that are allowing us to have, you know, that real time saving element, which as you say, is a huge barrier for everyone. So you might've already addressed this um, in your last answer, but I wanted you to summarize your top three changes For those who are maybe just getting started and feeling a little bit overwhelmed about the whole real food conversation. Well, I think that the first thing and in many ways, the easiest thing and most impactful thing that we could do is simply to eat more vegetables and definitely more dark leafy greens. And most people, I don't know what the stats are in Australia, but in America, it's only one in 10 people are actually consuming adequate vegetables and fruit. And so, yeah. Do you know what it is in in Australia? No, I'll have to look that up. Absolutely. Yeah, I'm sure it's probably not too far off. Um, But yeah, you know, I think simply adding in an adequate amount of vegetables and fruit that gives us the fiber we need, that gives us the nutrients that we need. And when we have the fiber, our digestion is better, right? We're at a healthier weight. Um, Our blood sugar is more balanced and we have less risk of disease. So there's so many benefits that come simply from eating more vegetables and fruit. So I think that's really the number one thing that we could do. And you don't even have to change anything else. Like your first step is just adding more in. And then, you know, later on, you could worry about the other stuff, but just add more in. And you'll also find that the more healthy foods that you eat, the more you crave them and the more they start to crowd out other less healthy foods because you know you can't really overeat cauliflower or broccoli because there's so much fiber, you're going to stop eating it, right? Mm-hmm. Um, whereas those convenience foods, you can just eat them you know, until the box is empty because there's really no stop with them. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, so just by adding in these fiber rich foods, you'll naturally start to eat less of the junk foods. Yeah. Yeah. So I'd say that's number one. Uh, number two, I would say is, um, drinking more water. That's another thing that I think it's so easy and it sounds like so simple. Everybody knows to drink their water, but you have to ask yourself if you're actually really doing it. And if you, especially if you drink any sugary drinks like sodas or teas, I would definitely replace those right away with water and really make that your primary beverage. And third, I would say moving your body every day. And even if that just means like a 30 minute walk, that's, that's enough. That's totally it. Just move your body every single day and make sure that you're, you know, walking or running or exercising, whatever you want to do, but just move because I think being sedentary is um, another big like rising epidemic. And it's something that, you know, I think we all have 30 minutes. You could take 15 minutes after lunch to walk. You could take 15 minutes after dinner to walk and that's your 30 minutes for the day. So we should be able to find 30 minutes where we can move. And there's so many benefits from better immunity to um, a better mood and so many benefits that come from exercise that I think it's something we should all definitely make time for. Yeah, absolutely. I think breaking it down into those achievable chunks is a really great way to start because 
you know, definitely for some people, the big barrier is either, you know, not being in a good routine to get up early before work or their day unravels and they've got so many commitments in the evening that that, you know, that intended structured walk falls off the to-do list. So if you do it after a um, you know, your lunch break or during your lunch break and you break it down, I think you'll easily be, you know, at your daily step count without having to, yeah, allocate too much time. Yeah. And of course, you know, go to the gym and work out. You could do real workouts, but, you know, for baby steps, I think that's sort of the minimum that you want to want to achieve on a regular basis. And, you know, you could also take, I love whenever I have phone call meetings, I will take them, I'll go outside, put my headset in and take them while I'm walking. So there's a lot of ways that you can sort of sneak in some extra movement, taking the stairs instead of the elevator. And they seem like simple things, but you know, at the end of the week, it all, it all adds up and it's better than, you know, the alternative. Yeah. Amazing. I love the simple stuff because we do all forget the basics. We're in this magic pill society where we've been trained to look for this magic solution, which doesn't exist. So I think all of us can do a bit of a stock take and, and acknowledge what basics we're potentially not doing as well as we could. Yeah. I always say knowing is not the same as doing. <laughs> so, you know, we all, you know, we know vegetables are good. We know water is good. We know exercise is good most people are not getting enough of any of those three, right? We know sugar is not good for us. We eat way too much sugar. So it's really, yeah, asking yourself and being honest with yourself, are you actually doing what you know you're supposed to be doing? Yeah, I agree. Like everybody knows that a salad is a better choice than a pizza, yeah? And I think <laughs> it is right. that. It's it's definitely a bit of a horse to water scenario, especially like I'm sure you've experienced this working as your in your health coaching um, business that yeah like what I see these days is it's actually rarely about lack of knowledge it's a lot to do with the practicalities logistics maybe there's some you know time or financial barriers it's really rarely about lack of knowledge in this day and age yeah I I agree I mean I think it's the time issue the money issue the being hectic like all those things but again I think they're just excuses and I think Interestingly enough, I think the junk food industry really perpetuates a lot of these things, you know, and um, I, yeah, I think it's totally false. It's like, if you want to do something, you'll do it. You'll figure out a way around whatever obstacles that you have, um, because there is, there is a solution to any sort of challenge that you have in terms of eating healthier. Uh, it's just a matter of being proactive and figuring out that solution instead of using the excuse to, to not make the change. Yeah, for sure. I was actually going to ask you what your thoughts were on whether it is the junk food industry or big food. Like, tell me about what you've seen in terms of the role that those um, influential companies or organizations have and, and how they impact our food choices and what we have access to in terms of the truth. Yeah, it's so interesting. So when I was growing up, I actually loved looking at the food pyramid. So here in the US, we had the food pyramid. And it was plastered on the back of my Cheerios box, which was my favorite cereal. And this was, I don't know, 
every single morning, I don't know why, I would just read the back of the churros box over and over again. And um, I would shovel in literally three bowls of Cheerios every single morning because I was trying to hit my six to 11 servings of bread, cereal, rice, and pasta that the nutrition pyramid told me that I should Mm -hmm. be having. And, you know, looking back now, it sounds so ludicrous that the government or any scientific body would really suggest that many servings of processed and refined foods. Um, But, you know, it really wasn't that long ago. And back then, I thought that that was the truth. Like that was science that was really sound. And little did I know that there were many researchers and scientific organizations and physicians that were petitioning to get rid of the food pyramid or to change the food pyramid because they didn't feel that it was based on sound science, right? And, you know, fast forward now that food pyramid has changed a few iterations and it it looks much different. Notably, my favorite food category was was removed. There's no more bread, cereal, and pasta on that, um, you know, plate. And, um, you know, so even today, while it is the my plate is much improved, What's fascinating to me is that it's still not necessarily 100% correct, right, based on all the science that we have now. So, for example, Harvard University, um, top medical school in the world, they actually produce their own version of the healthy eating plate, and it's a bit different than the U.S. guidelines. And they talk about on the website that they wanted to create a plate that was based on science, not on political and economic policies, right? So the food industry has a lot of money and they have a lot of sway and they even can influence what information is getting out in terms of our health and nutrition knowledge. So something interesting a few years ago, um, there was this huge story in the New York Times that broke in the New York Times about Coca-Cola paying scientists to promote this energy balance network. And basically they were promoting research, uh, getting papers published. Uh, They were, you know, getting media articles published about basically you can eat whatever you want as long as you exercise. So that's kind of the basis, right, of this energy balance network. That's the message that they want to convey. And if you ask most people, like most people will will say, oh yeah, like you have to just burn off you know, the calories, like you could eat whatever you want as long as you burn off the calories. And it's actually not correct, right? The research really does not show that. And um, it's once this article broke and, and it, you know, it was shown that Coca-Cola was funding them and that there was a little bit of shady business going on it, it, it disbanded. Um, but it's like, why do we need investigative journalists to be doing this hard research to like find this stuff out? And, you know, put it in the newspaper. And that's how, you know, we're, this is stopping, but um, like, why, why, why is this even allowed to happen? Or why is this happening right now? So I think we have to be really careful about, you know, where we're getting our nutrition information from, because I think we're not taught how to eat properly. And what we are taught is maybe not 100% correct. Like a lot of, I think our nutrition knowledge comes from something like the food pyramid or the national guidelines, which are not always 100% science-based. And it comes from advertising, right? Like I also remember the diet Pepsi commercials with Britney Spears when I was growing up and she's, you know, gyrating in her like cute little outfit. And of course I'm like, oh, I want to be Britney Spears, you know, and, and um, she's drinking a diet Coke or diet Pepsi, whatever. And 
you know, you would think, even though maybe it didn't say it, it's like, oh, diet soda. So, oh, that must be better for me. That's going to help me stay skinny or lose weight versus the regular soda, right? And again, that's not necessarily the case. And actually research shows that people who drink diet soda tend to actually gain more weight than people who drink regular soda. So, you know, all of our information or most of our information that we're getting is either there's some holes in it or it's not necessarily correct. And unless you really go digging for that nutrition knowledge, you're probably going to have some faulty thoughts about food and nutrition and health. Yeah, I think that's so true. I mean, everyone always says, show me the research, but I think you have to go deeper than that because, you know, companies or organizations like Harvard seem to be able to put out anything and, you know, nearly everyone believes it to be gospel. Like I know that you wrote about this, um, as did I. It was only a matter of weeks ago where the Harvard professor was um, calling coconut oil pure poison. And it was right. this viral campaign that went, you know, around again in terms of getting people to be afraid of this natural whole food. And um, we're having a conversation about research that is at least 30 years old and, and nobody seemed to question that purely because he was a Harvard professor. And I just find that really frustrating because yes, it's important to have the research, but we've got to look at how current it is because nutritional research has one come a long way and two changed so much in terms of what we know about, you know, fats versus carbohydrates and, and refined sugar. And that whole conversation is literally upside down. So if we're talking about research that is 30 years old, then, you know, we're just regressing, regressing instead of moving forwards in the nutrition space and finally getting, you know, getting the facts out there. So people are really aware of what to eat and what to avoid. Right. And also, you know, where, who's funding the study? That's mm -hmm. another thing to look at, right? Like there was, again, actually the same, the same journalist, Anahad O'Connor for the Times, he does all this amazing investigative journalism about the food industry. And he also broke a story about uh, how I think it was in this, uh, it's probably at least 20 or 30 years ago, um, uh, the, the sugar industry was paying Harvard scientists and researchers to basically cover up any evidence that showed that sugar, refined sugar, was associated with heart disease. And instead, they put the blame on saturated fat. And that's basically because the sugar industry was paying these researchers, these Harvard researchers, right, the cream of the crop, to put out this really false information. And basically, so for years, decades, even people were eating low, um, uh, low fat things thinking, oh, they're doing great for their heart. Meanwhile, all these low fat foods were actually loaded with sugar and sugar was the bigger problem. Oh yeah, I totally agree. I write about this in my upcoming book, Low Carb, Healthy Fat Nutrition. It was actually 65, so 1965. Mm. There, was, um, th there was actually three researchers from Harvard who were paid, um, I think it's the equivalent of 50,000 US dollars today. 
Right. Uh, they were paid a lot of money for that time to single out fat and cholesterol as the dietary causes of coronary heart disease and to ignore the evidence that was pointing to sugar back in the day. So yeah, I'm with you. You've got to, you've got to go deeper in terms of not just looking for the research, but looking at who's funding the research and what vested interest there might be. You know, in Australia, our dietary guidelines are governed by DAA, which is the Dietetics Association of Australia. And their sponsors are Nestle and Kellogg. So there's no surprises that we're still seeing dietitians talking about whole grains and cereals. And, you know, it's not six to 11 serves anymore, but it's still very high. And um, people are still being told to eat wheat fix when they've got low iron and these recommendations that just intellectually do not make sense, but we're continuing to have the wool pulled over our eyes because of this vested interest and big food. I know it's, yeah, it's really mind boggling Mm -hmm. when you start to dig in and you see what's really going on um, behind the scenes. Most people have no idea. I mean, they wouldn't, again, you you wouldn't have any idea what's going on with food and health and the nutrition industry unless you actually dig for that, um, for that knowledge. Yeah, I think it's, it is, it's mind blowing. The other example, again, Australian stats, but in the last 10 years, Coca-Cola has spent close to $4 million on research, which is basically their studies are five times more likely to find no link between sugary drinks and weight gain compared to studies whose authors don't have any financial interest. So that's again, huge that they're still trying to hide the research and spend $4 million when, I mean, you have to be living under a rock to not know the problems with sugar and sugary drinks in, in 2018. Right. And, you know, also on the flip side, so of course, all of these food giants are definitely spending money to promote, you know, there was also, I forget which cereal brand it was, but it was, they did some studies like, oh, you know, eating this sugary cereal for breakfast, the kids do better on their tests. I don't know if you saw this, um, but it was like what they were comparing it to was like not eating anything at all. Right. And so it just, the studies, it's like, yes, always follow the money. But the other frustrating thing is that things like broccoli or, you know, cauliflower, these foods, like they don't have, you, they don't have a, a really big industry behind them trying to do the research on broccoli, right, to um, promote broccoli consumption. So just because there aren't studies about certain foods or certain spices or things like that, like where it can't be we don't have a a huge body of scientific research on it doesn't mean that it doesn't offer some benefit. Right. So it's just like, it's a little bit frustrating because the foods that would be great to study or the ways of eating that would be great to study because you can't really make money off of it. Right. Cause you can't have a monopoly on broccoli or a vegetable or spice. You know, those studies are not really being done as frequently. Yeah, there's no money in broccoli, right? And and these big studies, like the, the obviously the longitudinal studies or anything that is, you know, that highest gold standard costs money. So you're right. There's barriers to a lot of the healthy foods being able to literally even fund the research. Exactly. Fascinating. I'm loving this combo. <laughs> I could talk about this all day. All right. I wanted you to actually share, um, I know you've got a, a more recent book that you've released. So please um, share with us more about your book. And I think we've, you know, we've definitely spoken about some of what is in there, but then we'll, we'll dive into some other, um, some other information that you share. 
Sure. So the book is called The Real Food Grocery Guide, and it's very much about a lot of what we talked about mm-hmm. so far. And I really, you know, I wanted to write a book, but I didn't think I was going to write a grocery store guide initially. But the way that it happened was very organically. And when I started coaching about five years ago, very quickly, my most popular service became a grocery store tour, mm-hmm. where I would literally take a client or a group of clients to a local grocer and walk them through every single aisle and explain exactly how to choose the healthiest foods, what the health benefits are, what the concerns are of different foods, how to read labels and all of that stuff. And, you know, one person would go on it and the next day two of their friends would call me and want to go on it. So it just sort of, I wasn't expecting it to be such a popular thing, but it was. So I eventually decided to turn it into a book. And that's how the Real Food Grocery Guide came about. And, you know, in the beginning, I do talk a little bit about why there is so much misinformation or so much confusion about nutrition. Um, And then it kind of goes into each chapter will break down the health benefits, the concerns, and how to choose the healthiest version of whatever that aisle is. So for example, produce or meat or fish or eggs or packaged goods. So It's just really a very practical guide to healthy eating. And I think probably some of the most, you know, most people have a relatively good understanding of what's healthy and what's not, but there's still a lot of confusion about a lot of things. And I think some of the most surprising things that people would encounter on the tour would be, first of all, realizing what's in some of their favorite packaged foods, like actually looking at the ingredient lists, because we are never taught we were never taught to read ingredient lists. We were always taught to look at the nutrition facts panel and really just look at the number of calories and the grams of fat. And that was it. And um, so switching that habit to really look at the ingredients first and then the nutrition facts panel secondarily, that's a big swap for people seeing what chemicals and strange looking ingredients are in some of their favorite foods is always a shock. Um, yeah, and and like also like meat and animal products. So you know why why should you choose organic and what's in the non-organic ones? And same thing with fish, like wild versus farm fish. So I think people don't really again unless you're like super interested in it and you're really like googling it or like trying to find information on it, you wouldn't really know the difference between these things. Yeah, amazing. It's obviously a huge area for a lot of people to navigate. And I think it it makes sense as to why they would need your support. Um, What are some, I guess, what's the biggest surprise? Is it the the ingredients that you mentioned or what do you think is the biggest takeaway from diving into that grocery store tour? Yeah, I would say either the, on the packaged good side, um, either that, like the ingredient part of things or the animal products. And so again, I'm not sure exactly how it is in Australia, but here, so for example, our standards for meat production are not the highest. So, you know, there's antibiotics, right? Antibiotic usage in our meat production, and that is leading to antibiotic resistance. Um, You know, the animals are not living a natural life. They're not eating their natural diet. And that is going to lead to a less nutritious meat as well. And, you know, there's also a lot of greenwashing, right? So uh, there's so many words, like if you look at eggs, um, there's cage-free, there's free-range, there's pasture-raised, there's omega-3 enriched, there's there's like literally probably over a dozen words that could describe a carton of eggs. And so just really 
starting to understand what all of these terms mean and then knowing which ones actually mean something and which ones are just greenwashing and don't really hold a lot of weight. So for example, natural doesn't really mean anything. At all. I agree. Or organic, unfortunately. Yeah. It's, uh, you know, and that's why also I love going to the farmer's market and I try to encourage people to go if you have one locally to go and do your grocery shopping and, you know, produce shopping as much as you can there, even animal products, because that's the way you're going to be able to actually talk to the farmer and know how they grow it or how they raise the animal and really, you know, get the most nutritious food that you could. Yeah, I'm with you. I had this exact conversation yesterday. Somebody asked me what eggs I buy at the supermarket. And I was like, oh, I actually don't shop at the supermarket. And people looked at me like I had a couple of heads. And, you know, I'm used to seeing that look. But I, re- I honestly can say the only time I'd ever go to the supermarket is if um, either traveling when, you know, things are more rural or to get a couple of staple items, like maybe I've run out of herbal tea or something like that. Um, I think it's really important to choose where you spend your money and being able to have that conversation with someone who literally gives a shit about the quality of the animals that are avoiding antibiotics and hormones that we're caring about the sustainability of the farming practices and it's the same thing with fruit and vegetables that you're getting the highest quality and often without the price tag you know when you invest a bit of time to not you know, essentially go to Coles at the last minute or wherever you are, I think when, you, when you're a bit more organized, you can actually find a way to make it really budget friendly as well. And then we remove that financial barrier that is a big story that people carry about real food being quote unquote too expensive. I totally agree. And I find I probably spend, I know I definitely spend less eating organically and, you know, from the farmer's market and really fresh, whole, real foods than if I was, than really any of my friends who are either going out to eat or, you know, doing takeout or just kind of eating regularly the way most people do. I'm definitely spending way less and eating way better food as well. So I think it's just a matter of knowing how to shop, knowing where to shop. Um, I love to get for example, any of my staples, like my herbal teas and things like that, the dry goods, I'll usually order online. Mm-hmm. So we have, um, like, uh, there's a couple of them now. I love Vitacost and it basically, it's like a whole foods or a health food store that's online. And because it's online, it's 25 to 50% cheaper than if you buy it in the store. So do you guys have something like that in Australia? Yeah, there are a few different options. I'm just trying to think probably what would be the most affordable option because um, I get a lot of mine wholesale now through my like my company account. So mm. I actually don't have to buy um, – what would be the oh, – I mean, I think, you know, like bulk whole foods or the source for things like, you know, nuts and seeds and almond flour and those things are really good ideas. Mm. Um, I'll have to think about where things like herbal tea are more affordable and I'll pop something in the show notes. Yeah. So yeah, that's obviously what what you do. So I think that's a really, really great idea. Um, And are you going more to like the, um, the butchers or the fishmongers and things like that as well? Yes, I try to as much as possible. Like I'm so lucky to be in New York and having the Union Square Farmer's Market. So it's really, you know, I just went with my mom uh, this, this past Saturday. It's the first time she came with me to that one. And it's, 
really quite large. And she's like, you know, you don't even have to go. Cause sometimes I love going like in the fall, we'll go upstate cause there's all these different farms that you can go and visit. You could apple pick, you could do all this stuff, uh, go to the markets. And so she's like, you really don't even need to leave New York. You have everything because all of the local farmers from the tri-state area, they all come and have like their best products there. So it's, I'm really lucky to live in New York city to have access to that. Cause you can pretty much get everything at the market again, except for like your dry goods. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I love that. And I think, you know, that is obviously quite location specific. So the work for our listeners is to ask Dr. Google, what is near them? You know, there's going to be markets available for a lot of us at least. And I think that can be a really good next step. So by all means, you know, start with that grocery shop and, and think about, you know, perimeters and and avoiding minimal products in the aisles. But then, yeah, as you evolve and as it becomes more subconscious, we want to think about, all right, do I want to be supporting these big companies or would I rather be supporting like a local business? And to me, that's really important as well because I want to support someone who cares about my health and well-being, and definitely the animals and especially the environment. Yes. And you know, there's a great website called localharvest.org and I'm pretty sure it's worldwide. You put in your address or zip code and it will tell you where the local farmers markets are or the closest local farms, or um, it will also tell you if there are any CSAs or community supported agriculture uh, groups in your area. And so a CSA is a great option, especially if you have a family, so you're more than one person. And basically what that is, is you would buy a share in a local farm for a season and it'll be a set price. So maybe it's like, I don't know, $500 for for the season. And then they'll give you like every single week, you'll get a delivery of all their freshest you know, vegetables and fruit and animal products. And it really depends on which farm, you know, you go with, they all have different products, but it's, yeah. So you're basically getting all of this fresh farm, fresh produce and animal products for a fraction of the price and it's, you know, delivered locally. So that's that's a great option. Well, let me check that out. Amazing. So cool. So a couple of things I wanted to get you to share before we finish up today. I'm sure your your skin story um, would be really interesting to those who, who have a similar challenge or know someone who has experienced acne or something similar. So I'd love you to share with us about what you've created in regards to um, a natural approach to acne. Um, and then I want to hear about your podcast as well. So over to you. Sure. So like I mentioned earlier, what really got me into nutrition is figuring out how to clear up my acne through my diet and and naturally using natural products because I tried everything, the conventional route, and it really, it just did not work for me. And so um, my, my passion really shies my passion really lies in helping others realize that they can also, if they feel like they have acne that's really persistent and that's not going away and they don't, you know, they've tried all these things and it's not working, that you can go a natural route. And you really want to look at your diet first and foremost, because our skin has two sides, right? It has the outside and it has the inside. So whatever we're eating is nourishing our skin from within. And our skin needs certain nutrients in order to look its best and to act the way that it's supposed to act and just 
be clear and calm and, um, you know, plump looking, right? And so we want to look at our diet for that. And we also want to make sure that we're not eating any foods that are going to cause inflammation. Because if you think about what a pimple it is, what a pimple is, it's basically inflammation of the skin, right? That red bump. And so we want to make sure that we're eating an anti-inflammatory diet and we're not eating too much sugar, right? Which causes inflammation. So there's a lot of areas that we want to look at in terms of nutrition when it comes to skin. Um, additionally, besides for just adding in the right foods, uh, research does show that many cases of acne can be caused by certain nutrition deficiencies. So um, nutrition deficiencies and also some of eating the wrong foods could cause acne, having poor digestion could cause acne, right? There's so many different weight factors, internal factors that can cause acne. So I created something called Eat Beauty, which is really just a meal plan and guideline to figuring out what's causing your acne, whether it is a deficiency or whether it is that you're not eating enough of the right foods or you're eating foods that are exacerbating your acne. Um, maybe your digestion's off. Maybe your hormones are imbalanced. And interestingly enough, what we eat can influence our hormones. Um, are we too stressed, right? That can cause acne. So it's a matter of figuring out what's causing your acne and then having a really solid game plan to then reverse it through diet and lifestyle. And so, um, so yeah, so I've had some incredible testimonials before and after is myself being the first one uh, from my very acne covered face. So, um, so yeah, so that's what the Eat Beauty program is. And then in terms of the podcast, I just launched a podcast back in May called Happier and Healthier, and I interview nutrition and wellness experts, functional medicine doctors, integrative medicine doctors on how to live your happiest and healthiest life. So that's what that is. And we're going to have to have you on the show too. Oh, I would love that. Absolutely. I'm going to dive into a few episodes myself. Maria, it's been so good to chat with you. I feel like you're my kindred spirit. It's awesome to hear your messages and that you're so passionate about getting this knowledge out there. Just before I let you go, can you direct us to your online home for my listeners that are probably on the go that might want to head to your website straight away? Sure. So my website is mariamarlow.com and Marlow is spelled M-A-R-L-O-W-E. I also post on Instagram a lot and uh, so you can find me at Maria Marlowe. Amazing. So head there straight away team or go to the show notes for all the links, including everything we've discussed in today's episode. Maria, I can't wait to connect again soon. Until then, have a beautiful day. Thank you. You too. Thank you so much for listening, team. Make sure you dive into the show notes over at thenaturalnutritionist.com.au forward slash podcast. Now, before you go, can I ask you a favor? I'd be so grateful if you would leave me a five-star review on iTunes. I personally read every review and comment and love hearing your aha moments and takeaways from each episode. Together, we can continue to spread the real food love. See you next time on The Real Food Real. This has been a production of TheWellnessCouch.com. Check us out on Facebook and join in the conversation on Facebook.com forward slash TheWellnessCouch. Subscribe to each show on iTunes and check us out on Twitter 
The Wellness Couch, streaming wellness into your lives. Whilst the Wellness Couch presenter endeavor to provide accurate and helpful information to their listeners, these podcasts cannot take into account individual circumstances and are not intended to be a substitute for health and medical advice from a qualified health professional. You should always seek the advice of a qualified health professional before acting on any of the information provided by any of the Wellness Couch podcasts.